The following program is a podcast1.com production. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. Looking for deals? ClarkDeals.com. And you want to follow me, follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in 20 minutes, a follow-up for you in today's Clark Rageous Moment. We have had so many complaints from people about defective Samsung washers, and the nightmare continues, and the nightmare continues because Samsung has botched the job. I'm going to tell you what you need to know coming up in just 20 minutes. And later this hour, the news about your TV is so great. And I'm not talking about the television itself. I'm talking about how you get the programming. There is a breakthrough that may be the watershed moment and how you and I get television in the United States. And it is exciting for you and me and exciting for your wallet. I'm going to explain to you how it's all going to play in just one half hour. Right now I want to talk about something that most people are not aware of, and that is Amazon's most profitable operation is providing backbone for the internet for a huge number of American companies. And Amazon has been growing like gangbusters. We think about shopping online. But what Wall Street cares about is that Amazon's internet operation, the backbone they provide for the internet here and other places, is key and core to them And they had a catastrophic failure yesterday. And so what's known as Amazon Web Services, AWS, basically fell apart. And so around the country, there was not a complete shutdown of the Internet, but it was pretty terrible. And I don't think most of us realize how vulnerable the Internet is And this is not sabotage. This is not what people wish to bring harm to us. You know, we've got potentially that to worry about with the Russians and the Chinese. But it's what just the Internet itself and how it operates behind the scenes, how fragile it is. So many of us become so dependent on the Internet that we have no backup in the event that there is any kind of catastrophic problem, either that's done maliciously or just because, in this case, Amazon messed up. So the thing for you, I want you to think about it. What is your contingency plan in your own life or in the case of a business operating your business. How many times lately have we had where airlines have had a computer problem and they've had to shut down their entire operations? They don't know how to do anything anymore without those systems. It's happened to Delta Airlines twice. 
Southwest once. I'm trying to remember who else in the airline industry. And so you're at the airport and they say, well, you can't go. Planes there, the crew's there, planes all set to go, fuel on, bags loaded, can't go. So what is your plan in your own life to deal with something that is a probability, not a possibility, not even remote? How do you continue to operate your business if the computers go down? I've had two incidents recently where I went to restaurants. One was a chain restaurant and had a computer failure. And the amazing thing was they had no way to take orders, take money, and sell goods. And so the restaurant closed until the computers came back up. Just two days ago, I go to a non-chain restaurant. This computer system was down. And they were using a calculator and looking back at the menu to figure out what to charge people. And it was like the analog era, except they had a calculator. We had no calculators in the true analog era. And rang up the sales, and it was slower than normal. You couldn't use a credit card, but they stayed in business. And they served customers. So in your own life, in your own home, think about it. In what ways are you completely dependent on technology? And should you think about how you would operate if there was a malicious or non-malicious failure of your ability to access technology or the internet. And as a business, if you don't think this stuff through, remember, an hour of sales lost, a day of sales lost, you never make that up. Have a plan. Deanna's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Deanna. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Good. How can I be of service to you? Well, I have two vehicles. One is a 2002, one is a 1995, and they are both going down. We are a family of four, recently retired from the military, so we're on a pretty fixed income. Well, first of all, two things. One, I'd like to thank you for your service to our country. Thank you. What branch of the service were you in? My husband was in the Air Force. He retired from the Air Force. Okay. Well, I appreciate so much what he did for our great nation. And the second thing is that you have had two vehicles on the road, one 15 years old and one that's 22 years old is exceptional. Yes. We were wanting to know uh, if we should... We just bought a home a couple years ago, and we were thinking about um, getting a home equity loan to help us purchase vehicles, but we didn't know if that was a good idea or a bad idea. So how many nickels can you scratch together with just well, cash you I'm might right. have? 
We have been putting a lot in our savings here recently because we knew we were going to have to start looking at replacing these vehicles. So um, down payment-wise, we could probably make about a $5,000 down payment, but that would only be towards one vehicle. All right. So let's talk about this a different way. And I believe that you would be able to come up with a reliable older used car that instead of doing a down payment, you just pay that cash and you're done. Okay. Every year, Consumer Reports puts out a list of used vehicles that are reliable to buy starting at $5,000, which is exactly what you said you had for down payment. You you don't have a problem driving an older vehicle. You'd be able to drive one much newer than either of the ones you have. Uh, thinking back, Consumer Reports tends to show vehicles you can buy in that price range that typically are eight model years old. So you'd go from okay. your newest one being 15 years old to one that's eight years old. If you take the cash you have and you buy an older used vehicle for cash, you don't have to worry about any payments. And as long as you have it inspected by a mechanic of your choosing to make sure it's a good car, then you have reliable transportation again, and you haven't gotten yourself into something where on a tight retiree's budget, you're having to make a payment every month. Okay. And then as you continue to build up savings, whichever of the cars is the uh, most reliable that you have, you limp it along long enough till you have enough money to maybe do that again. Because the okay. beauty of you looking at a car, if the average price of a new car is thirty two, thirty three thousand, and mm-hmm. they lose so much of their value in the first couple of years, think about the opposite. You buy a vehicle that you buy for just uh, five or six thousand dollars, it will still have potentially many years of useful life left but somebody else maybe a few somebody else's ate up all the depreciation on that vehicle okay that makes sense and so if you uh you can buy access one time to consumer reports and print out their uh use vehicles that are recommended or you can go to the library and look at it for free every april is the April auto issue, and they give you the used vehicles to avoid in there, the used vehicles you should look at buying. The avoid list is much larger than the vehicles they recommend to buy. Right. So should I look at last year's list? Yeah, if you've got to do it right now, I'd look at last year's list. Okay. And that would certainly be current enough information for you to make a smart decision. Right. Okay. And again, thank you for the sacrifices you have made as a family to keep our country safe and free. I'm very grateful to you and your husband. Vicki is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Vicki. Hi, Clark. How are you today? I'm great. Doing great. So you want to talk about Lending Club. I do. I, um, after listening to your show, and um, I know recently you kind of signed up for accounts of your own, I went ahead and made the leap and signed up, 
but I saw them advertising uh, I, uh, IRAs through them. I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. So that is an interesting question about doing an IRA uh, investment with Lending Club. You can do mm-hmm. that. They have a setup where if you put, help me out by memory, is it a minimum $5,000 with them, they cover your IRA management fee? Is that right? I, um, I'm not sure. I do know they're offering incentives right now as far as amount you're willing to contribute if you're moving the IRA in. Um, but if they call it the IRA fee, that's even better. <laughs> So, yeah, it says an initial minimum balance of $5,000. And so the idea is that you would be investing in uh, basically being a bank, lending money to people, and your money is spread out over a bunch of people. And I have been um, testing out both Lending Club and Prosper to Mm -hmm. see if they are good, viable options to invest with as a way to make money and diversify away from all the stock, stock, stock stuff I'm always talking about. And Mm -hmm. it's too early for me to give a verdict on if it is a potentially reasonable and possibly lucrative investment opportunity for me. But as far as using it as a way to uh, have an IRA and invest IRA money, it's it's fine because they've dealt with the fee side, and you're not going to have your money eroded by a bunch of fees. Well, that sounds great. But again, as to whether or not you'll make a decent enough return for it to be a good choice, the jury is still out. At least the Clark jury is still out. And that's what I'll be reporting on over time is I see I put my own money to work, five grand with Lending Club and five grand with prosper and i'll be reporting how each have done over time and how many people default on their loans how many people pay as agreed and what my actual real rate of return is doing it to give guidance as to whether or not this is something that is a good way to make money in an ira or outside of one for you so vicky stay tuned for that I am so disappointed to be bringing you yet another Clark Rage about Samsung. It has been so frustrating for me with the calls I'm hearing about the problems with the defective Samsung washers, and that's why I'm bringing a profile yet again to Samsung to try to shame you to do right by people. Spams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rage's moment. So, Samsung, you need to know that not properly fixing people's washers is not okay. If you are aware, there have been an enormous number of people who have problems with their washing machines being dangerous. And so there is a repair for them and also rebates. And people are talking about they're not getting their rebates. The repairs are faulty. And Samsung... Just do the right thing. Look what happened to you as a company when you didn't do the right thing with the Note 7. And it cost you as a company billions and billions of dollars plus reputational harm. Now you're repeating the mistake with your washers. Replace 
people's washers. If you have a Samsung washer that's one of the dangerous ones, what they do is they come basically and put a sticker on it that takes away a lot of the use of the washer and makes it look like it won't do functions that the washer was built to do. A lot of people complaining that their clothes are soaking wet when they finish washing, that the spin cycle no longer works right because of the supposed fix. So Samsung, stop mistreating your customers. And as I've said again and again to people, you're best off taking the cash that now they're having trouble getting from Samsung and then going to buy a new alternative washer of your choosing. A lot of washers, very inexpensive right now in the marketplace, full-featured, very nice washers, under $400. You're best off washing your hands of the Samsung washer. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address. You want deals? ClarkDeals.com. And speaking of deals, wow. Google is launching a pay TV service that is so well thought out and so in your favor that if they can execute, is this is the watershed point in how you and I watch pay TV, how we get it, where we can access it, and what it does. They are doing it under the YouTube brand. It's going to be known as YouTube TV. And you go to tv.youtube.com and you ask for an invitation. You give them your email and your zip code. And then they will notify you when they will let you buy the $35 a month service. What do you get? You get... The traditional broadcast channels, ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC. Then you get a huge array of cable channels. You get them for $35 a month. They're portable. They go where you go. They can be seen on your phone, your tablet, your laptop, your TV, wherever. But here's what's really Phenomenal $35 price. 
you can have people watching on your account three different shows at the same time. And they don't even have to be in the same house. So, like, my adult daughter can be part of my subscription. We pay $135 fee. And she can be watching at her home. Or if she's somewhere on vacation, she can watch whatever she wants. While I don't watch TV, but other than football, but while my family, the ones still under the roof, are watching two different things at once there. Or in any combination, three different shows at once. But wait, there's more. You get six unlimited capacity DVRs. Six. So you can record as much content as you want and keep it. And because the DVR is a cloud-based one, you can watch your content wherever you wish. $35 a month is probably something that only allows Google to break even. But they don't need to make money on the service. They just got to cover their costs because what they're all about is advertising. And where they'll make money is in the ads. The $35 a month is, and forgetting even the DVR and all that, it's probably equivalent to looking at the channel lineup roughly an $80 monthly traditional pay TV service from the satellite company, the phone company, the cable company. This is the game changer if Google gets the reliability right. If they actually have the picture and sound working as they should. If the picture doesn't stutter. And if it works as it should, which we've not seen always with Sling.com and definitely not with DirecTV Now. And DirecTV Now is $60 a month without all the DVR capabilities or the multiple people having accounts and all that. It's not close to the caliber of TV product that Google is introducing. So it works anywhere in America as long as you have an internet connection. And it's perfectly timed with the new unlimited plans for cell phones that as internet service providers for the home have been imposing data caps to try to keep you from going to streaming services like Google's the power to force you to to not buy a service like this is gone because of the new unlimited data on cell phones. And you can stream right from your cell phone to the TV in your home using another Google product that costs, I guess, $30 called Chromecast. It's an ultra-easy thing to use where your phone becomes your remote for your television that you watch on the TV. There are people that are worried that Google is amassing too much power in your life. But Google does it like a true monopolist. They do it with price 
not by trying to be the only one providing something. And then the marketplace decides. But ultimately, what will matter is does the service give you the quality and reliability you're looking for? And if they do, the way pay TV works in America will be over. Over. So, potentially great for you. Again, if you want to be in line for an invitation, go to tv.youtube.com and there will be a very simple, like, 10-second sign up with email and zip code and then at some point they'll invite you in gavin is with us on the clark howard show hello gavin hey clark how are you today great thank you gavin when money falls out of the sky you assume something's not right yeah i get a little suspicious what happened so uh, i got a check in the mail a couple weeks ago uh for seventy dollars um and it was supposedly uh, for a settlement reached between the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the uh, company Student Financial Aid Services. Um, and I'd heard of both of those, but <clears throat> I graduated from college about three years ago, and I didn't recall uh, giving Student Financial Aid Services uh, money, but it was a possibility, of course. Yeah, so what they were accused of and what they settled over is that they took millions from college students for um, improper recurring bills. And so they were billing you for subscriptions that you allegedly did not want. And so if you're getting $70, the amounts people are getting are in the 60s to the 80s. So all that means is that at some point while you were in school, you got billed an amount improperly somewhere around $70. And so the check you have is completely legit. Okay. Well, Isn't great. it weird? Think about how what a commentary that is about modern American life that you and I would both assume if you got a check that just came out of nowhere, there would probably be some kind of scam. Yeah, and it makes me think twice about my own monitoring of my finances if I didn't even notice that they took it. Well, isn't that a great point that, you know, most people do not go through their checking account statement line item by line item and their credit card statements line item by line item. And so it's really easy for bogus charges to slip through or bogus debits out of your checking account. And the law is pretty clear that if you don't notice bogus charges within a short period of time usually considered to be 60 days that even if it was money that was stolen from you you have lost your right to dispute it and get that money back so maybe others will benefit from our conversation and they'll start looking at their checking account statement every month and credit card statement every month yeah i know that i watched mine a lot closer since i started listening to your show well i'm glad for that and the degree you got, has it proven to be useful for you? Uh, it has. I was uh, able to find work uh, as soon as I graduated. I was interning at a uh, 
chemical analysis firm near the university that I graduated from. Where'd you go to school? Radford University. Radford, Virginia? Yes. I have been to Radford University. It used to be known as Radford College. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spoke there once. Okay, well, wish I'd uh, been around to hear you. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, congratulations on getting your degree, and then it led to employment right away. Dan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dan. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Great, thank you. Dan, how may I serve you? Well, I have a question about my daughter is traveling to Italy on a school trip. And how lucky is she? She gets to have the fun. You get to pay for it. You stay home. That doesn't sound like a deal to me. It doesn't sound fair. Uh-uh. Um, so her question is, how, what is the best way to bring spending money to Italy? Is Because she's kind of shying away from using a debit card um, because of um, identity theft issues. How old is your daughter? She's 20. Okay, does she have any major credit card yet? No, not yet. She's tried to get a store um, credit card, but she doesn't make enough money, according to them, to qualify for a credit card. So what I would recommend in this case, is she very responsible as a person? She is. All right. What I would recommend that you, with your cards, see which of your credit cards does not charge a foreign currency transaction junk fee. Yep. And do you know if any of yours are fee-free for foreign travel? I'm not sure, no. I'd have to look into that. How many cards do you have? I have two. Any chance one of them a Capital One? One is a Capital One. Ha! What were my odds that you would say yes? Capital One was the pioneer in issuing cards that don't charge foreign currency junk fees. Yep. Just make sure that the Capital One card you have doesn't charge those junk fees. Okay. And then get her an authorized user card. You can get that like in just a few days. And she travels with that. And with the beauty of that is that she can use it all across Italy. And she will be able to purchase things at what's known as banker's buying rate, which is the actual real rate of transaction that would go on between the U.S. dollar and the euro. Okay. Now, as far as ATMs, does she have a, a credit union account or bank account or whatever? Yes, a bank account, regular savings account, or checking account at a federal savings bank. Oh, and a federal savings bank. You don't hear about those much anymore. No. So the uh, federal savings bank, those are, those are kind of like, almost like quasi-credit unions. So they may not charge a big fee for her using an ATM card to withdraw euros as she needs them in Italy. Okay, yeah. She was going to check into her bank to see if what the fees were. So normally that's the best combination, that you have a major credit card that charges no foreign currency junk fees, and that you have an ATM card that doesn't hit you up with a bunch of junk fees at an ATM. To give you a comparison, 
most of the big banks charge a $10 per transaction fee when you withdraw money at an ATM outside the United States. Wow, that's a lot. It is huge. And so uh, a lot of credit unions, uh, USAA is an example of a bank that doesn't charge a fee when you use the ATM overseas. Oh, and Charles Schwab, the stock brokerage. Does she have any investments or do you have any investments for her? No, no, we don't. Okay. Well, then for other people, I'll mention Charles Schwab has a ATM card that allows unlimited withdrawals fee-free in the United States and overseas. It's a great product for people traveling overseas. Okay. But as long as she has those two things, a, a low fee or no fee ATM card to withdraw euros and has a Capital One card, as long as your Capital One card is one that doesn't charge the foreign currency junk fees, she's set. Okay. Oh, and you have to let the credit card issuer know in advance and the debit card issuer, the the ATM card, that she'll be outside the United States and when she'll be outside the United States. Yes, she was going to do that as well, so there's no surprises. Well, I hope she has a great time. Is this like the typical... American college student trip to Italy that she's going to be in Florence most of the time? Yes. I think there's maybe a half a dozen <laughs> different cities. Because yeah. it's funny, if you go to Florence, uh, particularly in the summer, all you hear is English because it is overrun with American college students. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com. Producer Joel ask your question for you joel clark hayoon wrote in and he said what would be the best way to protect your rfid credit cards do i need any sort of special wallet or anything like that all right what a great question and when this came up a couple of months ago it turned out i had one rfid card in my wallet and i contacted the issuer and they replaced it with one they said was not rfid so this is my new one joel what do you still see on the card oh yeah the same logo id symbol but they insist that even though it's on there they print them all that way but mine is not rfid what it is is it's a it's a short wave signal that allows you to tap and pay it also allows a criminal with the right technology to sniff out your card information duplicate your card and go have fun so now you can buy little sleeves at retail stores or on the internet usually they're under a dollar where you put an RFID-capable card into it, or you can buy an RFID wallet. Um, If you just have, most of us would have one or two of these, so instead of getting a whole new wallet, getting one of the RFID sleeves would make the most sense. Now, the symbol is four partial circles stacked on top of each other. I I don't know what you'd call that. It looks almost like a Wi-Fi symbol. It would be on the back of a card, and so that's what you have to worry about. All right, Daniel wrote in. It says, I've heard you mention several times that uh, regarding landlords who rent to family or friends, is it it's necessary to charge a reasonable or close-to-market rent? I'm renting in Portland, and the rents are hot, and I'm currently at about 75% of the rate to someone I know. Is that okay? 75% would be in the realm of reasonableness. What the IRS is looking at is if you're charging a tiny fraction of fair market rent, that's when you might end up in a gift tax kind of situation. Okay, here are some really surprising car facts for you. 
In Churchill, Canada, residents leave their cars unlocked. That's in case someone needs to escape a polar bear. It's true. And in Sweden, drivers are required by law to keep their headlights on at all times. Day, night, rain, sunshine, doesn't matter. And now, here's another interesting and actually helpful thing about cars that you might not know. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for new cars. Their certified dealer network also has an inventory of over 700,000 pre-owned cars nationwide. So whether you're looking for a new or used car, you can get real pricing on actual inventory and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. Oh yeah, here's another fun fact. TrueCar customers can see if they're getting a good or great price before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with their TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy that car, new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in a half hour, investing is getting cheaper by the day. There are new developments that are going to allow you to keep more of your money working for you when you do invest. I'm going to tell you what you need to know so that your money is working harder for you. And that's coming your way in just a half hour. Clark.com is our web address. When you have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. And I neglect to mention that we provide free off-the-air advice nine hours each weekday. So you can talk with a member of Team Clark and get advice, get information, get guidance, help. And if you go to clark.com, you'll see how to get that free off-the-air advice. You know who needs some advice? The head of Uber. Uber is looking pretty foul right now. Accused of stealing corporate secrets. Accused of being involved with a widespread problem of sexual harassment. And now the CEO captured on video treating an Uber driver like dirt. And said some stuff that, well, there's a family show. I can't repeat some of the quotes that uh, were found in a video published by Bloomberg. And the CEO is now, uh, well, he's got his tail between his legs. Said, to say that I am ashamed is an extreme understatement. My job as your leader is to lead, referring to his own people. And that starts in behaving in a way that makes us all proud. The reality is Uber has been a disruptor. And part of the culture has been to break rules everywhere and bring a business alive that has done a lot for so many people. I'll give you an example Every year I'm at CES, what used to be called the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, and it used to be the most expensive rental car just about in the United States each year. This year, I was able to rent a car for $15 a day. I needed a car because I was not just staying in Las Vegas proper. 
And why was the car so cheap? Because so many people who would have rented a car in the past instead used Uber and Lyft to get around. It also provides the opportunity for people to get a part-time income, generally not a true real living or career, but a nice additional income. But they have done a lot of things that have not been good, and the CEO has obviously had problems with being abusive. He said, this is the first time I've been willing to admit that I need leadership help, and I intend to get it. You know, so often with a company that is a disruptor, the things that make you successful initially are the same things that come back to bite you. Because an entrepreneur often is not a good administrator and not a good leader for the long haul. And so I think you'll see now change come to Uber. But any company, the leader at the top or the leadership group really sets the tone and sets the culture and sets the personality. And I wanted to say something about this, because this was a driver, you know, they're not employees, they're contractors. But to be hateful to one of your contractors is ridiculous. If you're working at a place where you suffer abuse of any kind, from your supervisor, your boss, or the very culture itself is not supportive of you, Know that the job market is so positive now. There's such opportunity today that you don't have to stay and take abuse. The marketplace says, come and find a new opportunity. You are not in prison to who you work for. And seize that opportunity. Charles is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Charles. Hey, how you doing? Great, thank you, Charles. You're trying to get your spending to where you actually know where everything's happening and where it's going. Is that right? That is. And how are you thinking of doing that? Well, I used to use an envelope system, and I bank out of state, um, So getting money out of the ATM, I get charged fees. My bank does repay those, but it's just $300, you know, $300, $300. That's really hard to do the envelopes. Sure. So I was looking at apps, and there's several apps out there that offer about the same thing, but they all require or ask for account information. Yeah, and they can't work without that. Um, any in particular you've been looking at that I can see if I have an opinion on an app or two that you're looking, considering? Well, I looked at uh, two, um, Good Budget and Envelope, I think is the way you pronounce that. I don't know Good Budget, but I did talk about Envelopes a while back, and they operate, they did operate on a freemium business model. Let me see if they still do, where... You could have the basic version for free. Yes, you can still have the basic version for free. And then there's a uh, more expensive one that gives you 
some more capabilities, but most people would be likely happy with what you get with the base free version. They have yeah. a really fancy one for people who feel out of control, and it's where they coach you actively in how you're handling your money. But if you're just trying to organize yourself and do it in an easier way electronically, I think envelopes would be a good way to do it. So here's the thing with giving up the information you have to give up. Charles, any time you give um, a connection to your accounts, to an app, a website, whatever, there's always risk. But the risk level is a possibility where the benefit level is a certainty. So I think in a case like this, I feel comfortable with you using this and giving them the information that they have to have in order to help you actively envelope your life. Great. Yeah, that's what I want to know. It's just I get scared when I'm giving out too much information on the Internet, especially to something that's free right. or even, you know, just not the secure banking system that I'm used to. Well, the the banking system we hope is secure. Because yeah. the reality today is that the way the Internet is built and put together, it's a, it's a constant uh, cat-and-mouse game with people providing services of any kind, working as hard as they can to keep their system secure, and then the, the bad folks out there trying to hack in and break in. And so there's never going to be anything with today's Internet that is absolutely certain and safe. And there was a lot of hope that a new technology, relatively newer technology called blockchain, that a lot of financial institutions are trying to convert to, that that was going to be fail-safe. But there's even been a a break-in into a blockchain system that allowed money to be stolen. So there is no perfection here. You just hope that the people you're doing business with have put up really good burglar alarms. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That uh, helped me out and get me started on trying to get my finances in order. Well, good. Best to you with that. Also, have you looked at Mint, M-I-N-T? I started to read about that today through... um, articles that I was reading and through the website. So look at Mint, compare it to Envelopes. The other one you mentioned may be absolutely great. I just don't know that one. And see if one or the other does a more adequate job. Maybe you get different things that you'd want to use both to have a better sense of what's going on with your finances. Tony is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Tony. Hello, Clark. Um, how are you today? Great. Thank you, Tony. Hope your life is good. It is good. Very good. Great. Uh, I, first of all, I want to thank you and your staff for all that you do for us because uh, you, the information that we get from you is, is priceless. Well, you were kind to say that. Thank you. And, and I get way too much of the credit because I'm the voice you hear mostly, but the real work is done by people you don't see or hear. And I'm grateful to all of them for what they do to help empower consumers. 
Well, my wife would probably say that you and I are brothers from different mothers because a lot of the things that you teach and preach on the air are things that I already do. So, but I have a question for you. I almost would like to play the Joel role and do an Ask Clark, but (laughs) (laughs) go right ahead. Well, I was recently retired from a company. I worked 35 years for them and I have substantial amount of money in my former company's 401k. Just as I was about to be retired, uh, they began to offer a Roth 401k, which I can obviously no longer contribute to. But I learned today that they offer an option to transfer traditional 401k money into the Roth 401k. Um, obviously, you have to pay taxes on that, just reg- as if it was regular income tax, and uh, and they will not pay that. It's got to be paid out of your own money. Right. It's your own responsibility. So, you know, my income's less in retirement, obviously, uh, and the consequences of the taxes would be a lot lower. So I was thinking about perhaps moving money like on a year-to-year basis over into that Roth 401k with kind of an eye on minimizing my upfront taxes. Uh, and, but giving me greater flexibility and my heirs greater flexibility, uh, uh, in the, in the long term. Now, the downside is that I would be using my non retirement income and other funds to pay those taxes. Right. So, so that, that is the question. If you, in dribs and drabs each year, move money from the traditional 401k into the Roth, and because your income's lower, you're lowering the tax. As long as it would not infringe on your lifestyle too much, you could afford to do it with the funds you have, and the money in the 401k being money you may not need for a long time in retirement, that is a very sound and wise strategy. Well, I appreciate that. I I couldn't see any downside to it, but I thought maybe I was missing something. And you're I missing you- you're missing nothing as long as you live a lifestyle where you it can afford the tax bill that would occur each year. It's great because the flexibility it offers you, when you turn 70 and a half, you have to start making mandatory withdrawals from that 401k. And exactly. so as you have less and less money in it, as you've been able to migrate money to the Roth, you're reducing by a meaningful amount how much mandatory withdrawal you'd have to make. This is important in your case because I can tell talking to you, the way you've handled money, you have been a good steward of your funds, and you're in a position to pay for your lifestyle without really needing all the money that would come from a mandatory withdrawal from the 401k each year. That 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 is actually the the, the, the problem I I see in the future and the the higher tax rates that I think we're going to have to we're going to see in the future as well. So I think that is because you've lived your life in a way that you have that flexibility. I w- I can never remember where I recommended to a retiree to move money steadily from a 401k to a Roth, but you're not everybody and your situation fits doing that perfectly. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asks it for you. What you got? Clark, Roxanne wrote in, and we haven't had this question yet. She says, I have a VW TDI vehicle that is eligible for the buyback program. The estimated amount we'll receive is around $22,000. Is this money going to be taxed? So there's been a lot of discussion about that among uh, tax types. So here's the deal, is that... Part of what you receive may 
be taxable. And the way that's determined is if you end up with net money beyond what you put into the deal, if when you sell it back, you actually make money on the Volkswagen disaster, you know, counting in the value of what you paid for your vehicle and all that, take out depreciation, money is owed in tax for the difference between what your vehicle was worth, what you paid for it, blah, 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 what Volkswagen paid you back, that gap is what would be subject to tax. This is one of those situations with a $22,000 check. When you get that the next tax year, so you would get it this year, when you do your tax next year, you need an enrolled agent or a CPA who does tax to help you do your tax. You won't be able to properly compute it with tax software. All right, and John says, what are the best rates on a five-year CD? The rates on five-year CDs have moved up, and now you can get about two and a quarter percent on a five-year CD. There are a number of uh, people paying online banks, paying rates like that. And I would tell you that we're moving into one of those times where interest rates are likely headed higher, that you don't want to tie up an inordinate amount of money in a five-year CD. But if you were to put money in a five-year CD, also money maybe in a one-year CD, when the one year comes due, you can invest that in a new five-year CD. All right. And Stuart says, I'm trying to find a legitimate Canadian pharmacy to buy drugs my insurance doesn't cover. What do you recommend? There's no good source now to find legitimate Canadian pharmacies anymore, I'm sad to say. So if you use GoodRx, at least you'll find the best price available potentially here in the U.S. So far in 2017, Forbes and Podcast One have already launched three highly acclaimed shows. The interview with Steve Bertoni features the business world's most interesting names, like Adam Carolla, Twitter founder Sean Rad, and Hollywood's own Jessica Alba. So I spent a lot of my childhood in hospital and hospital beds. Under 30 with Steve Goldblum talks to the movers and shakers, like Nation Builder CEO Jim Gilliam and NFL big game winner Martellus Bennett. Guys are afraid to be themselves because of their marketing deals. And the list with Art of Charms, Jordan Harbinger. We'll get behind-the-scenes insight and information that doesn't make the print cut next up sports money with mike ozanian talking to team owners athletes and industry leaders about the enterprise and money behind supreme athletic competition forbes on podcast one not just entertaining informative subscribe now at itunes and don't forget to rate review and share stay tuned for 60 seconds of ap news headlines right after this podcast really great having you here on the Clark Howard Show for empowerment with knowledge that helps you pack a punch in your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address. When you like deals, love deals, love to save money, check out ClarkDeals.com. And speaking of deals, there is a price war going on right now in the investing community. It was kicked off by the Big fund house, Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity lowered the cost of stock trades to $4.95. That is cheap. Now, this followed Charles Schwab last week lowering the cost of trades to $6.95. Schwab immediately responded to the Fidelity cut, and they cut to $4.95. And TD Ameritrade, that had been $10, 
Well, they're they're running behind in the race. They have now cut rates to six ninety five, but all of them are more money than Robinhood. Robinhood is free stock trading that you do on an iPhone or an Android. Takes almost no time at all to sign up at Robinhood, and then on an Android or iPhone, you are trading stocks for free. The reality is, even the um, four ninety five from Schwab or Fidelity is nothing. I mean, stock trades used to be hundreds of dollars per trade, and if you do business with a full commission stockbroker, your effective cost is still extremely high to own stocks and buy and sell them. But the market's changing. And it's because of the information available on the internet. And it's only the beginning of the story to talk about how with Schwab and Fidelity, which are two gigantic financial houses, that the stock trades are down to four ninety five because actually there's a huge amount of stuff you can buy and sell with Schwab and Fidelity at zero commission. Zero. And people building a diversified portfolio of mutual funds or using exchange-traded funds or index funds, with either of them not only can buy products commission-free, but the management fee for those items going forward is essentially virtually free as well. So things are getting really spread out where there are a lot of players in the investing industry that are still charging a fortune. The highest costs by far are doing any kind of investing with an insurance company. And when I say by far, that's not even strong enough terms. It's not at all unusual for the cost of investing to be 20 times as much with an insurance company as it is with a low-cost provider. In addition, as I mentioned, the full commission stock brokerages are very expensive to do business with. The two bigs of that are Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley, but there are others as well that are in the full commission area. And then as you move across the the spectrum, there are many that are getting less and less expensive for you to invest. It's becoming easier and easier And as I pledge to you, I am going to continually beef up the information for you on the companies that I believe you can trust to invest with that will put your interests first and charge you very low costs to handle your investments for you. Right now, it's more like a rudimentary guide at Clark.com, and I'm going to continue to beef that up and make it where it has more meat to it so that it will be easier for you to look at that list and say, okay, so this firm does this kind of stuff and that kind of stuff. This other one does this, that, and the other. I think I'm going to go with them. I want to say something about investing just in in the overall picture, though. So here we are now with stock indices in the United States hitting all-time record highs, day after day, and values of a lot of stocks up 
five times over from where they were at the trough eight years ago. And so this is not the time to suddenly say, oh, wow, look what's happening with the stock market. I'm going to take that money that I've had in CDs or savings accounts, I'm going to just throw it all into stocks all at once. That is not a strategy. That is not a plan. And it is not necessarily safe. I don't know how far the good news has to continue to run with stocks because ultimately the value of stocks is determined by how profitable the companies are whose stocks. But right now we are in a uh, euphoric kind of rally with stocks and don't know how long that has to go. So I'm all about slow and steady wins the race. I'm well diversified with my money, and I never, with a well-thought-out portfolio, I never vary from it, which is to put money in each and every month, widely spread out, in good markets and in bad, because I know over time, capitalism leads to more success, more economic growth, ultimately better lives, and the proxy for benefiting from that is being invested. None of us are capable of figuring out the exact right company to own or not own, except maybe Warren Buffett. And so buying pieces of the market across what are known as index funds, where you own little pieces of thousands of companies, you're betting on the long-term results of being an owner of business enterprises rather than trying to guess this company this month that company next month whatever there are people who enjoy doing that i enjoy accumulating assets and creating financial security kim is with us on the clark howard show hello kim uh hi clark how are you doing I'm doing great. How can I be of service to you today, Kim? Well, I retired a year ago, and uh, we planned on taking a vacation last year, but my son got married, so that's where our money went last year. So this year... Uh, well, do you I like who we married? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, good. She's a sweet girl. That's always the important <laughs> part, right? Oh, yes. Definitely. But uh, we're planning on going to, to Hawaii in May. And uh, the is that how you're or Kauai? 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 But anyway, Kauai, yeah, yeah, island. So we we're trying to figure out when when we've gone on to several of the sites to look for the best airfare. And my question is, how do you find the best airfare? You know, without taking two days to get there, and also. It seems like every time we go on and look, the prices change. Do they tag you when you do that? Well, no, generally generally airfares change repeatedly through a day. It's a a technology the airlines use that they were really the ones that perfected it called dynamic demand pricing. So you could look at a fare 10 minutes ago and see a different fare 10 minutes from now. 
Oh, okay. So that that explains. I thought they were tagging us because it seemed like every day it changes. And it, they actually do change that change. much. So let me tell you some tricks to get a deal to Hawaii. There's a a lot of airfare competition right now to the Hawaiian Islands from the West Coast. Yeah. Um, If you live in the eastern part of the United States, the deals to Hawaii are few and far between. So what often will save you money is to actually buy two tickets. One from where you live to the West Coast and a second ticket from typically California, Oregon, or Washington to, uh, in your case, you want to go to Kauai. And the way I look at it, you said you're retired. You make it an even better experience. You go out, let's say, to San Francisco, spend a couple of days there, and then go on on the flight you purchased to go to Hawaii. Okay. That's, that sounds interesting. I, I just never have gone. I've always used one airline and never changed airlines. I know some people do that. I, well, uh, I do it quite do frequently because, you know, I'm only into being cheap, right? Oh, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> so so think about, think about the advantage. Let's say you've always wanted to go to San Diego or whatever it is. You know, you can buy a ticket to one of the West Coast places. But first, I'd start with where's the cheapest deal you can get from the West Coast to Hawaii? And I want you to look closely at the websites of Hawaiian Airlines and Alaska Airlines. Okay. That are often offering the best fares. You know, I, I get all these fare alerts, and I know Hawaiian was doing a deal that fares from the West Coast to Hawaii were all in the 300s round trip. And I don't know if they're doing that today, but that's the kind of thing that's going on, and that's why you look from those West Coast airports. So let me tell you where you should look from. Look on the website, google.com slash flights, and kayak.com, and on kayak, do plus or minus three days. I mean, you're retired, right? So it doesn't have to be a particular day going over, a particular day coming back. And Kayak will put up a fare matrix showing a huge uh, list of fares, the lowest fare day by day, going this day, coming back that day, and on like that. And you know you've got a good deal when you get a deal from the West Coast to Hawaii in the 400s or 300s round trip. And fares are so cheap within the United States that getting the West Coast from most anywhere in the eastern half of the country, should be two-something round trip, no more than three low 300 round trip. And then you get two trips out of it. Isn't that great? So the thing with the fares, though, and I hope you have a great time, Kim, the thing with the fares I want to mention is that I don't buy travel the way Kim is looking at buying travel. I wait till some weird deal pops up and i buy that and that determines my destination and if you ever heard me say that and you're like that guy's crazy crazy like a fox because the way airfare patterns work today they're so irregular and you never know where that great deal is going to be our producer kim 
bought a ticket for summer just yesterday to Mallorca, Spain for 404 round trip. She bought it. Why? Because it was on sale. And then she'll figure out what she's going to do in Spain. Jeremy joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jeremy. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. I'm good. How are you? Great. Thank you. So the stock market's not your friend? No. Um, I am one of those millennials that uh, I try not to invest in it. Um, I wanted to touch lightly on why, what I do instead, but I do have a dilemma that I need your advice on. Let's hear. Um, so I think the, the reason is pretty um, straightforward. Um, the subprime disaster had a profound effect on me and my wife, um, just with market and greed. Um, so because of this, besides a 15-year mortgage, we have no debt or max savers, and we don't plan on um, purchasing anything with debt for the rest of our lives. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a 401k with the government. I'm a software engineer. I max it out, the Roth version, and I, I invest it all in the G fund, which I know you're not a big fan of, but I'm okay with 2 to 3% returns. Um, and then outside of that, I take, uh, I take advantage of promotional CDs um, with my credit union that you are a part of, um, which can pay 3 to 5%. Um, so I take one out for each member of my family. Um, but the problem I have is uh, my wife is going to become a stay-at-home mom. Um, she's been in the workforce for 10 years, so she has a 401k that we're going to have to roll over. Um, I know that you don't have to roll over. it over, by the way. Well, um, I would I would like to. I, I'm not a big fan of where it is and okay. the cost. Um, so I, I you know I've been looking at one of your low cost providers and a target fund. But the problem I have is um, I know you own lots of index funds. So how do you get over the fact that you indirectly own stocks of companies that you do not like? <laughs> okay, we have talked about that as a staff. In fact, this just came up last week because, you know, I I indirectly own shares in banks that I bash all the time. And so, in a sense, I'm hurting my own investments. I also am an indirect owner of companies I don't trust and don't respect. And the way I look at it is that that is passive investing. I'm not making the decisions. I'm not choosing to put money in in that or not. It's just part of a basket of hundreds or thousands of companies that little teeny amounts of my money go into. And I just accept that that is what is a tiny part of what I'm invested in. Because, you know, there's an expression, perfect is the enemy of the good, or something like that, that you end up, if you keep trying to do everything perfectly, you end up doing nothing. And so the advantage to her on balance is so great being in that target retirement fund that is essentially, in large part, a variety of index funds that I think you just do it. And then the way you balance it is the volunteer activities and the community activities your wife's involved in and you're involved in are things that really matter to you that you can make a direct impact, an active difference in versus the passive that your money's invested or her money's invested. That sounds good. I know you said that 
when it rolls over, not to invest all of it right away and to incrementally invest, would you still apply that same logic? That would not be the case in her case because she's been invested in the 401k, so there's nothing, no need really to dollar cost average. She can just throw all the money right into the diversified portfolio that a target retirement fund is. Well, thank you very much, Clark. You're an inspiration uh, to me and hopefully uh, to many others out there. Thanks for your time. Thank you, and congratulations to the two of you on how you live on substantially less than what you make. It's the key to giving you the freedom for the choices that you're making. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Hello there, you. It's me, Jay Moore. You know me from the More Stories podcast. I'm a comedian, I'm an actor, and I talk to people that fascinate me, like Brandon Boyd from Incubus, super funny Jim Jeffries, Jay Leno, Charlie Sheen, Lakers owner Jeannie Buss, and a whole lot more. Download a few episodes of More Stories now. More Stories podcast every Monday. Podcast One app, iTunes, podcastone.com. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd I'd never really come across them in bad ways it was always even when I said hello he never seemed to speak back to you he was just like kept themselves to themselves and that was about it the British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican I'm Rita Foley